This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. All right, a couple questions online, those of you who are watching. Who has a playlist on Spotify or on their phone? Do we have a playlist? Is your go-to songs? Maybe you got, you know, who's got a play? Not that many of you. Some of you do? Yeah. You're like, hey, these are my songs, man. Bob, I know you do. I know you do. Bob comes and he helps he, uh, clean, clean the, the building on Fridays, gets everything ready for you. And he will come and he's got his playlist. There is not a more eclectic playlist in the history of playlists than what he has got. He's got a little Bob Gaither. Then the next thing you know, there's a little ACDC going on. I mean, he's got it all. He's got a playlist. Those are his jams. All right, let's back it up a little bit. Who, uh, who burned their own CDs growing up? Burned your own CDs. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, you make your own CDs. What's, what's that? Oh, yeah, not just one, they did a whole less. And you, you, you take them on the road with you. I mean, these are your songs. These are, and you go back and you listen to it. These are your songs. Oh, yeah, I had a, I had a, a big boom box. It had a, a carousel, and it would rotate five discs to a five-disc changer. Okay, yeah, you're like, ooh, five discs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, instead of the little, little puny boo ones, you only had to put one disc in. I could rotate five discs in mine. Yeah. All right, let's back it up a little bit. Who had eight tracks? 80% of the crowd is like, eight track? Like, what's an eight track? How many had eight tracks? Good, hold them up. Be proud. Be proud. That's right. Look around. Look at your olders. That's right. Look at your olders. Had eight tracks. All right, good deal. Who grew up with LPs? Yeah. Who had the big 33s, the big ones, right? Yep. Nancy's like, you know it. Yeah. Yeah. Should should we have Nancy tell us what some of those LPs were? What what, what were we dancing to? What were we singing, Nancy? The Beatles, huh? Did you have have 45? Did you get the 45s? Yeah, the Beatles. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My, what's that? Tommy Dorsey. Oh, wow. Now we're going, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, 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 that's legit, man. I, I remember my grandmother. I was over visiting my grandmother once, and she brought out her, her record collection, 45s. Okay? And uh, she pulled out one, and she put it on. I'm like, this is so cool. And all of a sudden, Peggy Lee and Fever came on. I'm like, oh. And all of a sudden, my grandmother got up and she started. I'm like, Grandma? You gave me fever. I'm like, Grandma? She'd take that one off. She'd put another one on, Dusty Springfield. Only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher, man. And that song grabbed my heart. And I'm like, oh, yeah. This is the song of my life. Even so, we, I played it at our wedding when we came into the reception hall. I so did, didn't I? So did. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time ever, Mr. and Mrs. Paul Hicker, the only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. I'm like, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. My son is so embarrassed right now. Yeah, 
these are the songs of our life. And we grab the CDs, we grab the records, we grab the eight tracks. But how many of you did have a mixtape, a cassette mixtape? Yeah. Dude, that took art to pull off. You know, because, I mean, you had to be prepped. If you were pulling it off the radio, okay, right? You know what I'm talking Otherwise, you're missing the first four bars of your favorite song, and you're like, come on! And you're listening for Casey, says, and now the number one hit's in the long, and you're like, you had to play and record at the same time, but you'd accidentally hit the eject button, so it would pop out. You're like, oh, scoop and you grab it and you stick it in and you accidentally unspool the thing. So you're reaching for the pencil. Right? You know what I'm talking, right? Right? And you still miss the first eight. So you had to find a friend who had the cassette and you had to have a dual deck boom box so that they could play and record at the same, you know, right? Right? And then it was, this is, yeah, your mixtape. And it could be, it could be the greatest hits, right? Whatever's big at the... Some of them, they're like, no, 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 no. That's my song. That's my song. And your friends are like, why do you like that song? I'm like, seriously? Only one who can. Like, yeah. The music of summer. Brick house, who said brick house? Like a, Nancy, is that your song? Like a brick house. He's a brick house. Mighty, mighty. <laughs> Oh, no, your kids are so embarrassed. <laughs> For those of you who are online, this is why you need to come join us, because we just, we just have so much. Everyone's left online. They're like, what a nut. Um, yeah. I remember Josh Sam was one of my best friends. He'd pull up in his car, and he'd put in the mixtape, and we'd be, we, 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 Cybersil, man, we'd jump around, jump around. We'd go play volleyball all summer long. Jump up and get down. Jump, jump. And there was a time where I could do that. Now, now I only can do like one of the jumps in that song. Like, yeah. I jumped around, and now I'm just round. These are the songs that grabbed a hold of us all summer. And so my thought was, what if this summer, what if we did something similar? What if we grabbed some of the greatest hits of the Bible? Passages and ideas that are all over the place. Songs that other writers would quote and, and throw back to as if to say, you know what? These words matter. This song matters. This psalm matters. Some of the greatest passages, some of the greatest lines that get repeated again and again and again. Did you even know that the Bible did that? There's, there's one psalm in particular that's quoted again and again and again all throughout the whole New Testament. As if to say, dude, this is one of the Bible's greatest hits. You want this song to be a part of your life. But in the same way, I just want to share some of my favorites. Passages that I've learned after 40 years of following Jesus that I just don't want to forget. Truths that I want to keep with me. Songs that matter. Truths that matter. So what if this summer we, we did a little bit of a, a mixtape? Where do you start? If you listen to a countdown, what do they do? They play the, they do it backwards, right? 40, 39, 38, and you're like, oh my goodness. And now for the number one song in the land. Well, let's flip that. What if we started with what I think is number one? What if we looked at the number one song? Not because of who wrote it, 
really don't know who wrote it. Not because of who sings it. Truth be told, we've been singing it for 2,000 years. Not because it has great music, because it probably didn't have music. It was something that the church would chant together, not sing as we sang. Number one, because of what it says and who it's about. Would you stand with me? Let's read it together. This is from Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15 through 23. And let's join the church from all ages. Read with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thank you. Please be seated. Leanne Rhymes in 1997 grabbed a song from Trisha Yearwood. It was uh, part of the soundtrack of the summer blockbuster Con Air. We remember that movie, Con Air. You guys remember that? Nicolas Cage. You guys, you're good, right? Remember that scene in the very beginning of the movie where he's in this cell and he's doing push-ups and he's doing this yoga position with his hands on a person's fingers? Yeah, I could never do that. Never even tried. Still, it was a great movie and it was a great song. How do I live? How can I live without you? What a great question. Is that, isn't that the question? Some of you just started singing it, actually. How do I live without you? Yeah, it's not as good as the sound of a preacher man. <laughs> what a great, how, how do I live? How can I live without you? How can I go forward? How can I? How do I? What makes it possible? The Apostle Paul helps us out. When he writes this in Colossians, he's currently in jail. And he's visited by a spiritual leader from a church in Colossae, which is a city in the area. And this is someone that the Apostle Paul had mentored. And Epaphroditus, the guy, finds out that Paul is local. And he has some questions. And he rushes to Paul and says, hey, do you got a hot mess in this church? This is a church that Paul never been to. He doesn't know these people. But Epaphroditus knows Paul. And he says, hey, I have some issues. I have some problems. I have some challenges. I need your help. They're getting distracted. They're pulling away from the gospel. They're not following Jesus. They're worshiping other things. They don't know how to live in community. Paul, you gotta help me out. How do we do this? 
And so Paul writes a letter to this church that he'd never visited, that he'd never been to. And what I want you to notice is notice how the letter starts. Yeah, there's 14 verses of introduction. Hey, you don't know me. I don't know you. I'm Apostle Paul, minister, the gospel, Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, goes through all this. And then where does he start his letter? If you look at your, if you have a copy in, in front of you, if you have a, your translation of the Bible, you look at Colossians chapter one, okay? Most translations, you're not gonna see anything different. Verse 14 goes into verse 15. There might be a little pericope that says the preeminence of Christ or the great that wasn't there. 15, 15 looks like 14, 16 looks like 14. It all flows the same, right? Some of your translations actually do what is very helpful and it presents it the way it was written. Like a poem. It's indented a little bit more. It's written a little bit differently. The font's changed a little bit because it is different. Paul starts his letter with a hymn of praise. He leads with worship. You can't see it. But out of the gate, he says, we're going to start with Jesus. Why? Because for the Apostle Paul, write this down, whether you're online or here, write this down. Living is worshiping Jesus. Living is worshiping Jesus. All the questions that this leader has, Paul says, this is where we need to start. This is what matters most. Beginnings matter, don't they? How you start matters. If I were to bring you up here and I show you my manuscript, which really isn't a manuscript, it's more of like an outline. And if I were to show you, hey, this is what I see when I'm talking to you. Uh, most of it's bullet points. It's just reference words to kind of help me stay on track because I'll, you know, squirrel, ha, let's talk about this. And I value your time. You have Kroger click list to pick up. Okay, so do we. My wife says, so she says, hey, we got click list before one o'clock. So well, I got to move this. I, the bullet points, what I will write out word for word on my manuscript is my opening line, my introduction. The very first thing I want to because I know that beginnings matter and I want to build some momentum in our time. Beginnings matter. Let me, let me illustrate it another way. We just came back from family reunion in Virginia. Okay? And I talked about this a little bit last week. Two weeks ago, whole family got together. We hadn't been together in a long time. Brothers and sisters, uh, cousins and nephews, my mom was there, all gathered at this beach house. First two hours we're there. We're just checking out the house. We're, it's on a lake, this nuclear, nuclear powered, irradiated, glowing water. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. We're just sitting, I'm sitting on this bench. I'm sitting on this dock. I'm sitting next to this lake. I'm on vacation. My whole family, my wife is there. My sons are there. And then someone literally streaks by in front of me. Streaks by me. Somewhere in my mind, I had filed a way that my brother was a nudist. I had filed it away to the extent that, okay, go him, lives in Florida, whatever. You do you, great. They have beaches for that. I saw more of my brother in that moment than I had seen since we were four years old in a bathtub And he literally slowed down time. I don't know how he did it. But 
I don't know how he pulled this off because there's this hill down to the dock into the water. And I, my attention goes, and then all of a sudden time went, and he's like, and my wife is standing, and my kids are there, and I'm like, and this is how we're going to start vacation. That sets a tone, doesn't it, for everything that's going to follow. I'm not making this up. Am I making it up? No, 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 no. That was your uncle. I love him. I love Christopher. But every now and then, he'd be like, we're sitting up, and he's like, I'm going down to the dock. If you know what I mean, yes, we do. We'll stay up here. You enjoy. And then like a greater glow would come out of the beach. (laughs) Beginnings matter. Look how Paul starts this. He leads with worship. He sets a tone. He says, there's a lot that we're going to cover, but we're going to worship first. Hey, your leaders asked me a lot of questions, and I want to answer those questions. But look, Jesus... You have some challenges. But first, let me say this. What do you lead with in the morning? How many of you lead with coffee? Yeah, I knew that since I was going to go up. How many of you lead with coffee? And he's like, you know it, right? Best part of waking up is Starbucks in your cup. How many of you uh, lead with Facebook? I'm not going to judge you. It's okay. This is a safe place. It's a safe place. You won't melt. How many of you start with Facebook? The alarm goes off. You just grab me like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to get up. How many? Go ahead. Raise your hand. I won't judge. Complete lie. I'm so going to judge you. <laughs> how, about, how about potty? How many of you start with potty? Start with potty. And you're like, actually, I've been pottying all night. It's nothing new. It's, like, it's, just, it's just, just this round is where we're going. Yeah. What if you started with worship? What if you led with worship? You sit up, feet hit the ground. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Paul starts them off with worship. So we need to ask a key question. What is worship? Is worship singing songs? Because that's not what they would have been doing. When they got to this part, if someone is reading the letter, if Epaphroditus, the spiritual leader, is reading this letter to them, they wouldn't have all stood up, all hail king. No, that's not what they would have done. They probably would have chanted together these lyrics because it was a popular hymn at that time that they sang, that they they spoke it together. But what is worship? Worship is a picture word. It literally means to bow. It's a posture, to bend the knee, to say that something is worth it. It's not to give something worth. It's to recognize worth. And there's a difference because you can worship things that aren't worth it. Did you know that? You can bend your knee to things that are not worth it. But to worship Jesus is to say, you are worth it. You have value. The the boys and I were having a conversation last week, and it was around, if I were an animal, what animal would I be? Yeah, that's fun. You know, Lucas had his, he already knows this one's going to go. So he said, man, I got you. Um, sure you do. Um, Aiden's like, ah, da, da, da. It's, it's always something crazy. Jack's like, what animal would I be? What animal would I be? What animal would I be? 
Jackson, if you're watching right now, I got a good one for you. Lucas, he, he get this grin on his face, man. That grin right there. He's got his phone and he's scrolling. He's like, craps <laughs> it. And he throws it, shows it to me. It's this giant silverback gorilla. <laughs> right? Right? And if you look at Lucas, Lucas is like, he's, he's, <clears throat> I'm like, have you ever seen a silverback gorilla like in person? Like, have you ever gone to the Columbus Zoo, gone to the, gor the gorilla enclosure, and you're like thankful that it's enclosed? Like, you're thankful there's six inches of whatever that is, because they're on that side and you're on that side. And you look, and, and they're swinging, and the females are doing the, the little guys are doing this, and then all of a sudden, he don't look at you. You're nothing to him. You do not exist in his world when that silverback goes by. And when he goes by, you're like, Oh, you don't talk? Because there's something that you recognize that he is that you aren't. And you watch for a little while and he does his thing. And then you walk away. Because you can. If that enclosure wasn't there, you would not walk away for long. Could you imagine bumping into him in the jungle? Could you imagine coming into a clearing and all of a sudden you are right in front of this 400 pound silverback gorilla? What would you do? Piddle a little bit, right? <laughs> would you walk away? Would you walk away? Well, if you wanted to die, you don't turn your back on him. He will shut you down. You get into a posture, a specific posture. You don't make eye contact. You don't look at him. You get down. Because you know who that is. You know what that is. When I come before Jesus, I come with a posture. And I don't turn my back. I know who he is. I know what he has done. That is living. That is That is worship. So let me walk you through the hymn. And I'm going to go relatively quick. We could camp out. In fact, my very first series that I taught you uh, five and a half years ago uh, was, was through this passage because it, it's, it's so beautiful. But uh, if we were to think of it as a song, and it is a song, what would the first verse be? What would verse one be about? Jesus created all things. Let's write that down. Online, write it down. You write it down. Jesus created all things. He's the image of the invisible God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That word image is icon. Okay, in Colossae at the time, in this great city, there would have been lots of temples. And you walk in that temple, there would have been a statue of whatever that God is that that temple is for. It was not a statue in their mind. That is the God. That's just that God, his physical representation. They wouldn't come lay anything before a statue. In my mind, they're laying things before the God. That's that God on earth, that statue. The image of the invisible God. In this hymn, Christians grabbed a hold of that and says, no, 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 no. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Cults really kind of get hung up on this one. It doesn't mean that Jesus was born before everything else. What it means is he comes before everything else. He has priority. He has first position. Notice that he comes before everything else. 
So whatever else you find yourself doing or bending or leaning or recognizing, Jesus comes before all of that. See the word all? Look, I'd encourage you, just go through that passage. Circle every single time the word all comes up in your copy. It's as if Paul says this is a big deal. It's all creation. It's all things. It's all heaven. It's all earth. All of it, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. He is before all of it. Whatever had you all tied up in knots this week, Jesus comes before all of it. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. By him. All, by him, all things were created. He's the agent of creation. We get hung up on the how, don't we? We will have big debates and write books and build boats and have museums and displays and conferences on the how of creation. I think it was six days. I think it was six billion years. Bible don't care about any of that. Excuse me? Bible don't care about any of that. You know what the Bible wants you to know? Who created? You get that part right, everything else, cool. We find out that God did it this and then this and then this. Cool. But God did it. Was it a bang or was it a... God did it. Did he do this and then this? God did it. Specifically, Jesus did it. Heaven and earth, invisible, invisible, the sky realm, the angelic realm that we don't see, but sometimes we bump into, right? If you're sensitive, if you kind of realize what's going on, you'll bump into the heavenlies, the earth realm, where we are. He created all of it. Whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He breaks down these, uh, these power structures to say thrones, dominions, to say rulers and authorities is to reference specifically in the spiritual realm authority structures. But those same authority structures are also mirrored here on earth where we are. The problem happens when we mess up the authority structures. When we mess up the order of things and how things should be done. Whole mess happened in the heavenlies because they got the authority Upside down. We don't want to be two, three, four, five, six, seven. We want to be number one. He created all things. Created through him and for him, it says there. So agency for him, audience. Audience. You can delight in a sunrise, right? We're up in Erie uh, the last couple of days dropping off kids with grandparents and we uh, walked down to the lake to hang out at the lake and saw the sunset go down. It was beautiful. You can delight in that. It's just not for you. That's all. It's not for you. It's for him. You can delight in the flowers. You can delight in the animals. You can delight. Mr. Bill can go out on his boat and he can delight in the fish or the fish that aren't there. You know, Dalton, did you catch anything? Did you catch it? You caught two. Did you catch two? You can delight in that. It's just not for you. Who's it for? It's all for Jesus. It's for him. You are not the center of the universe. You never were. You never will be. You're a part of it. 
You're a part of the song. It's just not a song that was written for you. But it's certainly a song that you can enjoy. The second verse, if we were to keep going in the passage, Jesus sustains all things. He sustains it. He created it. He also sustains it. It kind of flows out of, but I, I just wanted to separate it out just a little bit just to help us notice it. Verse 17, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. My life draws on the ever-present grace and provision of Jesus. If Jesus lets go, I fall apart. If Jesus says stop, I die. You woke up because Jesus said, rise or go potty. <laughs> your heart beats. Why does your heart beat? Because Jesus tells it to. He is the thing that's above. He is the one that's beyond. So living then is worshiping because it's the ever-present realization and posture that I am here by Jesus. The more that I can turn to him, the more of him flows through him, the more alive I become. That's why when we die, we keep living. In your notes, I want you to skip a line. We're going to skip a line. Let me tell you what verse 3 is. He restores all things. He restores all things. He creates all things. He sustains all things. And then he restores all things. We're not quite sure if, if this part uh, is a part of the original hymn or it's something that the Apostle Paul wrote to mirror and go along with it and kind of take the song to another level, like a big old key change. But he takes it to another level with Jesus is going to restore, verses 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. It says in verse 18, head. It was their understanding that head is the source of life. Why? Well, you cut someone's head off, everything stops. Still true today. Head, source of life. Separate one from the other, it stops. But notice where he goes from here, okay? This is important. The first, first, first things that we talked about, there's this created order that happens in this sphere that we call earth. This is where creation is happening, right? This is the creation that we interact with. The sphere of that creation and sustaining is physical. It's this globe. The apostle Paul is now going to take it up a notch. He says, yeah, but when it comes to restoring and new life and new creation, that, open, that happens in a different sphere. That happens in the church. You cannot separate life in Jesus from his body, the church. Unshameless, unapologetic, intentionally offensive, and very direct. Thank you to the Apostle Paul. Also biblically accurate. You cannot have Jesus apart from the church. You cannot grow with Jesus apart from the church. 
You can tell me you want Jesus. I just don't want none of that church stuff. You can't. Let's say Mr. Bill just caught himself a bunch of fish and I'm over there and he's skinning and he's cleaning the fish. Lots of fish. Got big, beautiful fish. You're going to do a little fishing, grilling thing that you do with fish after you catch and eat the fish that you do after you do that with the thing that you do. And I'm not paying attention. I put, he's got, he's just, he's, a, he's just going like this mad Japanese chef. And I set my hand down and thumb's gone. Right off. There's the thumb. There's the fish. There's the filet. We have a short period of time to do what? Right? Get that thumb. Get that thumb on some ice. Let's get that thing. Get some pressure on there. Let's get you to the ER. And there's, we'll, we'll probably be able to get that thumb reattached and everything's okay again. My body, even if that didn't happen, would my body probably be okay? Yeah. My body, my body will go on. Life will go on. That's a different number one song. Okay. Um, How about the thumb, though? Will the thumb be okay? Will the thumb be okay separated from the body? Life will go on for the thumb? No. When a follower of Jesus separates himself from the body of Christ, the life begins to fade until they're just gone. You cannot say, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. If someone wants to come up to me and say, hey, I want to be a pastor, I will tell them not to do it. Unless they want to watch their loved ones die. Not physically. That's a part of it. It is a part of it, right? Cradle to grave. That's kind of what we cover. I'm there when they're born. I'm there when they die. I will be there for many of you when you pass away. That's great. I'm okay with that. That's, That's good. That's good. I'm talking about watching your loved ones die spiritually. It's that one that's hard. You watch them make decisions. You watch them pull away. And you watch them die. Tonight, the elders are going to get together. It's our first elders meeting. Be in prayer for us. I'm very excited. It's going to be awesome. Um, And I have a lot of prep work. I've been in the middle of a lot of prep work. I'm thankful to my wife for being very patient as I've been getting a lot of things ready. Because the challenge has been I need to take everything that's up here from an oversight perspective and get it on paper so that the elders can be up to speed on things. Part of that is going through what I call the book. It's you. It's so that they know how to model and care and pray for and lead you. They need to know where you are and how you are. Or they don't know how to pray for and care and come alongside of you. And so to articulate in a matrix how you are spiritually. And so it'll ha- it has your name, and then it goes through various areas that speak to your life. What is your spiritual life? And there's health, where I put things like they're growing, or I'm concerned, 
Or it might be in red and it say crisis. And well, how do you do that? You just arbitrarily, maybe you what, because you like me or you don't like me or what? Is that how you decide that? Yeah, that's about it. No. <laughs> no, that's not it at all. That comes from looking at other things. Direct corollaries to your life within the body of Christ. Are they in a life group? Not at this time. Are they serving? Not at this time. Or nursery, plastic zone, or worship, whatever it might be. What's their attendance like? Weekly, monthly, inconsistent. What's their giving like? Regular, inconsistent, unknown. Invariably, your health is directly connected to your interaction within the body of Christ. You can do this. Cover up your name. Cover up your health. And just show me those five areas. Those four attributes. Are they in relationship? What capacity are they serving? What's their attendance like? What's their financial giving like? And I'll get pretty darn close to guessing what your spiritual health is like. Like, well, that's kind of arrogant. How is it any different than my wife, who's a physical therapist? You walk by in front of my wife. She is calculating after 20 years of experience. She's watching your gait. She's watching your posture. She's walking, watching how your foot, and she says, oh, I bet you they have a back problem. And so, yeah, there are many celebrations tonight as we gather as elders. This person's growing, and this person's growing, and this person's growing. I have some concerns here. They've disconnected here. They're not engaged here. They were doing this, but they're not doing this anymore. I'm concerned. And there's some that, yeah, it's red. Some are in crisis. And invariably, look at the boxes. And they've separated themselves from the body of Christ. So if you can't handle that, don't be a pastor. Because the next thing they'll do is they'll blame you for it. Now let's keep going. Ready? Okay. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Notice the parallel, firstborn again, comes first. He is the source of which all life then flows out. He is the, the, the head of the river that everything flows down from. You get to that, the beginning, the source of resurrection life, and it's Jesus. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, like an image. But now that new life image is grace and love was pleased to dwell. God was pleased to offer new life to you through Jesus. Pleased he wanted to. It was grace. It was a gift that was given. 
that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now we can talk about the how. The Bible don't care about the hows of physical creation. It tells you the hows of spiritual new creation. How does that happen? He shed his blood on the cross to reconcile, to bring you back, to bring you home. Peace through him. There's a missing chorus. I'm calling it a missing chorus. Because if you go from created to sustain to restore, it assumes that something happened in the story that you're supposed to know. It assumes that you know how things got all jacked up. So there's a missing chorus. You know what the chorus of a song is, right? That's the part that you leave humming. You might not know the first verse. You make up your words to the second verse. But the chorus is the part where everyone in the car just starts singing at the top of their lungs. What's the chorus, the missing chorus? In your notes, Jesus offers me life by his death. Write that down. Jesus offers me life by his death. Verse 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body, flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So after verse 2, before verse 3, write that in. Jesus offers me life by his death. Alienated, what does that mean? I was separated. Separated, cut off from God. Cut off from the sustaining life that is God. True life, real life. Hostile, what does that mean? Corrupted, depraved, self-centered, doing evil. That's what happens when Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden that is the source of life, what happens chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter? Okay, everything's good. First two chapters, Genesis. Chapter one and two, it's awesome. Chapter three, all the way to before chapter 11, guess what it is? Every human being doing what is hostile, doing what is alienating, doing what is evil in the eyes of God. That's what we do. You cut yourself off from life, things go bad fast. To reconcile, to restore. Why? To make you holy. So that you can go into God's presence again. Enjoy God's presence again. Blameless, without tarnish of sin and death. Above reproach. This is your great chorus. This is your number one song. Because this is true, I constantly turn my life and live in a posture of Jesus. I worship him. But don't miss this key word. In my mind, this is the forsaken word of American Christianity. Not a big one. Not a fancy one. But it's an important one. You look at my wife's engagement ring. It might not be big and it might not be fancy. But as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty darn important. What's the forsaken word of American Christianity? It starts verse 23. Two letters. If. If. All of this. If. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard 
which has been proclaimed in all creation and under heaven. If you continue for the flower, if it opens itself to the sun, if its roots will draw upon the strength and the nutrients that are there, if you continue stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Why do I say American Christianity? Because we believe all I had to do was go check the box and get my bus ticket. It is a sustained walk. It is an ever grabbing hold of constantly repenting and ever turning posture of life. That is worship. How sad that some Christians give their life to Christ and then stop living. If your life matters, then worship must matter to you. And what you are worshiping must matter to you. Some of you are worshiping things that are worthless. And you're going to be really confused. So how? How do you start living? Just... I'm just going to go through a bunch of suggestions. Write some down that, that, uh, that help you in, in your life. Number one, decide to follow Jesus. Some of you have never made that decision. It, it, this journey starts. There's a starting point. We have a baptismal and we have a starting point. I decide today I'm going to follow Jesus. Today is Independence Day, right? Fourth of July, right? Yeah. I'm thankful. Thankful that I get to do this out in the open. I get to offend people out in the open. Love it. I don't have to hide anywhere. I don't have to coddle anywhere. I can stand right here. You can cancel me all you want. I don't care. Independence Day. You need to declare who your king is. All of us do. I follow Jesus. I encourage you, make that decision. What's that look like? What's turn your life to? Jesus, I'm going to follow you. You created me. You sustained me. You restore me. Jesus, give me life. Make that decision. Make that decision. Here's another suggestion. How, how to reorient your life. Begin the day with worship. Begin the day with praise. Before Facebook, before coffee, before potty. If you had to potty, then you could, potty's fine. But still, you, I get up, put my feet on the ground. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Get into a posture of worship as soon as you possibly can. Maybe a little bit later in the morning or before you go to work, grab the book. Go to a psalm. Read through a psalm. Stand. Read the psalm out loud. Take a posture that is of worship. Not kind of like stretched out, like, Lord's my shepherd. I shall not walk. He makes me lie down and greet. Uh uh. That's not a posture. That's the wrong posture. In that posture, what are you worshiping? If you have kids or a spouse, maybe have a, a time of worship. Hey, let's read this psalm together. You don't have to preach on it. Let's read it together. Let's declare it together. Do some self-assessment. Are there things that I am worshiping that aren't worth it? What is getting my words? What is getting my time? What is getting my money? Those things aren't worth it. They will not give you life. Jesus gives life. He's the only one. Make worshiping corporately a priority. What do you do on Sunday morning? Go to church. No, you don't. Your theology's jacked. You're the church. You can't go to church. You are the church. What do you do on Sunday morning? 
I go worship Jesus with others. That's what I do. I don't understand what the difference is. Skip church. That's easy. You really want to kick yourself in the gut? Realize that you decided not to worship Jesus so you could go worship something else. That'll sting a little bit more. And hold your brothers and sisters accountable. Hey, I haven't seen you in life group for a while. Are you okay? Hey, I haven't seen you. You didn't show up for ministry. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. No, you're not. Hey, I haven't seen you at worship on Sunday morning in a long time. Are you okay? Why? Because this is life. This is where grace comes. This is where we experience life abundant. It comes through Jesus that is the body that is Christ. How do I live? I think Leanne Rhymes was right to ask that question. How do I live? I worship Jesus. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.